0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the MIE Spotlight Series podcast. My name is Jeff Bradbury from the TeacherCast Educational Broadcasting Network. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is episode six. My guest today is an amazing educator from the state of Pennsylvania, who not only is a two-time finalist for the Nobel Prize of Teaching, but in 2014, the White House and National Science Foundation presented him with the highest honors that the United States bestows upon math and science teachers. We have an amazing MIE to spotlight today on this very program. Before we get to that, I want to talk about two amazing events that are going to be coming up. Coming up here on November 29th and 30th, we have our Skype-a-thon. It is going to be an amazing event that's connecting educators worldwide with each other. Our goal is to get more than 3 million miles of Skyping tr- between classrooms all around the world. There's, of course, three steps to take to join our Skype-a-thon. First of all, head on over to the website at skypeathon.com. That's S-K-Y-P-E. A T H O N. Skypeathon.com. Join the educator community. Of course, you can always visit education.microsoft.com to visit and join and most importantly out there participate in that educator community. The second step is the fun one. Find a classroom or expert and get connected with. And if you're not sure what to do or where to go, our guest today is going to tell you exactly how to do that so you can be successful using video conferencing in your classroom. If having any trouble or if you have any questions about the first two steps there is a great sway that you can find over at education.microsoft.com that's going to tell you how you can get started it is one of the easiest things that you can do and if you participate in the skype-a-thon on november 29th and 30th you can very easily transform your classroom from a four-walled structure into a global space of learning. So check out the Skypeathon again, November 29th and 30th, skypeathon.com. There's of course other great areas out there where you can connect not only just with other people around the world, but also through our social media channels. There are two tweet meets that happen each and every month. The first Tuesday of every month is the hashtag OneNoteQTweetsMeet, and the third Tuesday of every month is the MSFTEDU chat. That's Microsoft EDU chat. Two great tweet meets starting at 10 o'clock and 4 p.m. Pacific on each of those days. That's the first and third Tuesday. I've been participating in these over the last few weeks. It is a great time to not only meet, to network, but really to get some amazing resources in your classroom. My guest today is a Pennsylvania educator that was a two-time finalist for the Nobel Prize of Teaching. He's an MIE expert and an amazing educator to follow on Twitter. Welcome to the show today, Mr. Michael Saskill. Mike, welcome to the show today. Welcome to the MIE Spotlight. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Tell us a little bit about yourself. You're a two-time finalist for the, for the Prize of Teaching. You teach in Pennsylvania, wallen area school district. What do you do every day? How do you work with kids?
1: Well, right now, I'm a third through fifth grade science teacher, and I believe that the, the solution to every problem in the world is locked inside our students' passions, and that our job as teachers is to delve into those passions and help kids connect with the solutions to those problems. And so through a combination of um, you know, project and problem-based learning, uh, global education and global connections, uh, and just uh, good inquiry-based you know, teaching in my classroom, uh, my kids are solving some of the biggest problems in the world.
0: Talk okay. to us a little bit about that. I, I, we hear these, the, you know, problem-based learning, project-based learning. Is there a difference between the two? And, and and really, the question that a lot of teachers ask is, how do you start with that? I mean, beginning of the year, how, how do you begin your curriculum to tell kids that they're going to be solving the world's problems?
1: <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't know that I, would, uh, that I would quite put it in those terms for kids right away. Um, but yeah, there's definitely a difference between problem and project-based learning. Uh, project-based learning is really uh, kids having to learn in order to to complete some kind of project that you have for them. So uh, when I think back to my time as a fifth grade teacher, when I was teaching social studies, one of the problem or project-based learning lessons that we did was uh, we gave kids a hypothetical, hypothetical situation where they had to go back in time. Uh, to save Abraham Lincoln from assassination. And so they had to put together a plan in order to do that. And that was a good project-based learning lesson because um, you know, there was a project they had to submit at the end uh, to different historians and, uh, and high school uh, social studies students. More of, more of the learning that goes on in my classroom now has shifted to problem-based learning, where kids are identifying problems in the world that they see and then using the learning they do in schools not to pass tests and quizzes on Friday afternoon uh, but rather to work with other educators, scientists, uh, social do-gooders to solve some of those problems, such as uh, wa- you know water uh, water issues in Africa or uh, lack of school supplies in different places around the world. Um, you know when they identify a problem that they want to get involved in. We allow them to use their learning to go ahead and try and solve it.
0: And when you're working with problem solving and problem based learning, is this something that you come up with over the summertime and you put together the curriculum? Or are there resources out there for teachers that are new to this that might not know where to start, but they might some resource might give you a kit to get through the year with the problem?
1: Yeah, Well, um, so there there are lots of different resources for uh, project based learning. Um, The Buck Institute for Education, um, Ginger Lumen, and Kevin Honeycutt in Kansas, their uh, life practice model, um, PBL kit. Uh, Those are all excellent resources for uh, for for project based learning. The issue when it comes to problem based learning, you really it really taps into teacher creativity because you never know what your students are going to be passionate about. And, you know, the the worst thing that you can do is to dictate to kids what problems you want them to be solving. It really has to be um, intrinsically motivated from students. Uh, And so what I found for me is over the course of the year, as we connect kids to different global learning experiences and they talk to different scientists and uh, students around the world, when they say those magic words, you know, we need to do something about that. Then I give them the autonomy, the resources and the support that they need to go ahead and tackle those problems.
0: And do you keep these projects within the curriculum that you're already scheduled to run for the year? Or is this yet another thing that you're going to be working on with the kids
1: yeah, so you know every, every teacher doesn't want more on their plate. I mean, we already have enough on our plate already as teachers. And so the, the problems that kids are trying to solve definitely attach to the curriculum that has to be taught in the first place. So, for example, last year, um, my STEM director came to me and said we, he wanted me to get more um, engineering into science class. And at the same time, we happen to be having some mystery animal Skypes and, and other uh, garden collaborations with a school in rural western Kenya. Uh, the HIP Academy. And what my students found out was that their bridge that separates their village in half um, was very dangerous. And many of the students that were younger couldn't go to school because the bridge was too dangerous for them to cross. And older students during the rainy season couldn't go to school. And so what we did in science class was look at different bridge designs and how loads are distributed, which is something that was in our curriculum anyway. Uh, And we had our students go ahead and create blueprints for a new bridge that could replace the one that was dangerous and, and there in Mukiuni. And we sent that to a bridge designer in Kenya who then gave us a price. It was going to cost about $3,000. And, uh, you know, I'm in an economically depressed area of northeastern Pennsylvania. You know, fundraising is not something that, uh, that happens real well in my area. But kids were determined to try and have their bridge designs built in that, in that community to help those kids. Uh, and they were able to raise about a third of that, about $1,000. But at the same time, they put together a website asking for help. And other people around the world were so inspired by the work that they were doing uh, that we ended up getting two thousand dollars in donations to uh to complete that bridge project from people in in other places around the world and so you know there's something that kids were passionate about, and it fit the curriculum that we were doing and At the end of the day you know we've got a group of kids in Kenya that are now going to school because my kids identified a problem and went ahead and solved it
0: you know I, I love that you're continuously talking about solving problems and not teaching technology to kids and creating these real-world experiences, it's got to be a rewarding thing at the end of the year to see that your kids actually accomplish something that goes well beyond your classroom walls.
1: Well, it's it's rewarding for me for sure as a teacher, but um, the most important thing for me is to see the intrinsic motivation that happens in my students. You know, in, in the economic situation that uh, is going on in our, in our community uh, with the majority of our kids on free and reduced lunch and living below the poverty line, very often, there's a lack of hope um, from kids when they're feeling those economic pressures at home and uh, you know, through their parents, you know, sometimes indirectly, sometimes directly. But when they experience the joy that comes with doing good for others, and they know that they're powerful because they're using their learning in ways that it's meant to be used and not just to pass a test or a quiz, um, that's, th- that's magical for them. Uh, I see a change in kids that um, you know, they, they become so empowered and they want to do more of that. You know, once once kids feel that joy, they, they want to keep experiencing that. And so they keep looking for different ways to do good in the world and to find new problems to solve.
0: Talking today to Michael Soskill, a recipient of the Presidential Award for Excellence in Math and Science Teaching. Mike, what was it like to visit the White House and uh, and and be recognized for achievement in, in the classroom?
1: Uh, it was surreal. Um, that, that whole... You know, None of us go into teaching to be recognized. It's uh, when it happens, it certainly feels good. And, um, you know, you're proud of the accomplishments that you've that you've had. Um, but most of all, you want to give that back to other people. And, you know, since my time at the White House and then after the Global Teacher Prize, uh finalist ceremony that happened last year in Dubai, it's really made me want to shine the spotlight on others that are doing amazing things that haven't had that recognition yet. Um, you know, it certainly it was a great experience for me, but I think there's so many other teachers that are out there doing great work uh, with their door shut that nobody knows what they're doing. And, you know, their awesomeness needs to be needs to be spread so that others can be inspired by it.
0: I, I totally love that. and And, you know. It's, it's the reason why we do this show here. and We're calling it the, you know, the MIE Spotlight to really, really put a shine on teachers. I, I want to bring up something that you had mentioned earlier. You had said that you're connecting with these other places around the world through Skype. Now, many people listening to the show today are going to be celebrating the Skype-a-thon, which is happening on November 29th and 30th. Tell us a little bit about your class Maybe talk a little bit about some of the technologies you have in there, but but let's focus a little bit now on how are you using Skype and how are you using video conference to really expand your classroom and connect your students with the outside world?
1: Yeah, Skype has really become an invaluable tool in my classroom. Uh, it's almost just become part of the classroom culture. My kids don't even, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, in some classes they pull out a textbook uh, for us you know, it's just another Skype call that happens because it's just what we do. Uh, It's the tool that we use. Um, In a lot of cases, you know, we use, uh, we don't use a traditional mystery Skype because uh, map skills are not something that we're really focused on in science class as much, Uh, but we do a lot of mystery animal Skype in order for kids to understand classification and specifically animal classification. Um, And so we, you know, each of my classes plays a game of mystery animal Skype, you know, once a month or so just for them to stay sharp with their skills and to build those critical thinking skills, and you know, for those that don't know what that is, that's a game of twenty questions. Where you know, my class might choose a penguin, and your class might choose a jellyfish, and you know, we'll go back and forth with students asking yes or no questions to try and identify uh, the other class's animal first. Um, so that's that's one way that we use uh, Skype in our classroom. Uh, the other way that that happens quite often is virtual field trips. Uh, we speak with social do-gooders, um, authors on occasion, but especially scientists. We you know, we talk to a lot of scientists. Uh, in my third through fifth grade science classes, um, you know, just last week we talked to Dr. Dean Hines, um, who is from the Space Telescope Science Institute down in Maryland. Uh, he's one of the scientists that, um, you know, programs and, and works with the Hubble Space Telescope. And he shared us, he shared with us different images that he's taken of um, supernovas and, and stars uh, and talked to our, you know, our, our fifth grade students who were working with different um, astronomy topics uh, talk to them about what he actually does um, in his job as a scientist. And, you know, that's just one example. We, we talk to scientists all the time because I want my students to feel the passion that comes from people that are out doing real work with the, the content that we're teaching in our classroom. When you're
0: looking for people to bring into your classroom and just Skype with, what advice do you have for teachers? Where, where do you reach out to people and find extra resources and experts in their fields to meet with your students?
1: Yeah, that, that's really a three-prong answer. Um, the the easiest way to start is to go to the Skype in the Classroom website on the Microsoft Educator Community, uh, and that's education.microsoft.com uh, for the education community. Or if you want to get right to the to the Skype uh, page where you can find the virtual field trips, it's education.skype.com. And there's filters in there where you can search for subject area or grade level uh, to find the virtual field trip that fits the content that you're teaching. Uh, so that would be the first way. Uh, the second way would be through connections on Twitter. Uh, there's a great Google tip that my friend Diane Smokorowski shared with me a couple of years ago that's worked real well for me. Uh, you can do a, a site-specific Google search uh, within Google. So if I'm looking for, let's say, a uh, zoologist, I would type into Google zoologist uh, space and then site colon twitter.com with no spaces. And what that would do is that would search Twitter for people that have zoologist in their, in their profile. Uh, and through that, I would have students then contact different zoologists and ask them, Hey, would you be interested in speaking with our class about, you know, X topic? Uh, and we find a lot of experts that way, just by reaching out to different people who are passionate on Twitter, you know, people who are passionate about their jobs, want to share it with kids, especially if kids, you know, ask them to, to share. Um, and the third way would just be by asking friends and family. Uh, that's, that's how I found Dr. Hines, um, after I won the presidential award for, uh, for math and science teaching, Um, he was a friend of a friend that I had a contact. And I I read his backstory and saw the great work that he was doing. And I said, you know what, this is someone that I, I want talking to my kids. And so I just reached out to him and um, you know, we made that connection. So, you know, really, just use the resources that you have around you to to find the most amazing people you can to bring into your classroom. You
0: know, I I love those methods. I I, I often teach people how to do the, the search for site colon dot whatever. But you know, I've never thought about doing it as a as a Twitter search in there.
1: Yeah,
0: that's pretty cool. I'll have to remember that one. Um,
1: and, and when you and when you do that, the the sweet spot is somewhere between five hundred and two thousand followers. You know, if you have someone that has 100,000 followers, they're probably not getting back to you. And if you have someone that only has 30 followers and isn't real active on Twitter, they're probably not getting back to you. So you look for that sweet spot. um, And that's the person that you identify and you let your kids contact.
0: Do you do any uh, social media work with your kids? Do Do they have a class Twitter account or Facebook? How else do you interact with them in the real world?
1: Yeah, we don't. Um, and that's uh, that's district policy. You know, our district's not real active with social uh, social media right now. Um, but we have uh, you know, we do have uh, a class website up there uh, where, you know, see, I'll put you know, something as simple as if kids are absent, I'll take a picture of any notes that are on the board and put it on the site for them. Or, um, you know, if kids run different experiments and we shoot video of it, um, we'll put it up there for parents to be able to see or for others to learn from. Uh, but that's that's most of the way that we, you know, that we interact with parents and share what we're doing in our classroom.
0: Talking today to M.I.E. Michael Soskill, a Pennsylvania educator from wallen paul Area School District. You can, of course, reach out to him on Twitter at M. Soskill. That's S-O-S-K-I-L. Uh, Mike, I got to say, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. There's a lot of great topics that are in here. And I, I think moving forward, I, I got to ask you this one here. If teachers are looking to reach out and start using Skype in their class, Or using their classroom as a vehicle for, you know, really being that conduit between students and professionals. What advice do you give them, or what advice would you give them if they were to say, "Where do you know where do I start?" It's the easy question to ask. Where do I start? But what advice do you have for teachers out there?
1: Yeah. So the first thing I would say is you know you have to have a you know it's a it's a catchphrase that people are throwing around now, but you have to have a growth mindset and you have to be okay with making mistakes in front of kids. You know, modeling modeling uh, how handling mistakes is is probably the best thing that we can do for kids we know that kids are going to make mistakes and we want them to use them as learning experiences and so we have to be willing to do that um you know ourselves I'm, i'm here i'm in a hotel room here in boston i just spoke at a conference today and i had a virtual field trip set up uh for the 150 people that were in the room today uh, that totally fell through for whatever reason the person we were trying to connect with didn't have internet connection. And so I had to punt and, and do something else uh, on the fly. Those kinds of things are going to happen in your classroom, too. So don't expect everything to be perfect. Um, the sec- second thing that I would say is start with a mystery Skype, because mystery Skype is really the gateway drug to full blown global learning. You know, it's so easy. All of us played 20 questions in the car with our parents on long trips when we when we, when we were younger. And so doing something that simple where, you know, your class is asking yes or no questions to another class and they're doing it back to you to just try and guess your location or the animal that you chose uh, is really an easy way to get started. And once you feel comfortable doing that and you've had a couple of Skype calls under your belt, then the rest just kind of goes from there.
0: That is very, very cool. Certainly check out all the great stuff over there. And of course, I hope you have a chance uh, if you're listening to check out the Skype-a-thon on November 29th and 30th. Mike, as tradition here, before I let you go and we sign off here, would you be able to participate in something that we call the MIE Spotlight?
1: Sure, let's do it.
0: A series of questions here to really make you think. Now, I I, I want to talk a little bit about the MIE program here. Our first question is always, what does the MIE program mean to you? If you could talk a little bit about your experiences, who you've met, how does it work, what have you done? Just tell us a little bit about the MIE program and really what it has meant to you and your students.
1: Well, this is, real, this is my third year of being in a, a MIE. And when I first started, I had a really great network. Um, but my network was not very international at the time. And becoming an MIE allowed that network to, to blow up into all kinds of countries that I never dreamed of connecting with before. It's one of the ways that we made a lot of our global connections. And along with that came different points of view about education that I otherwise wouldn't have been exposed to. And that made me a better teacher, you know, just being surrounded with that expertise, um, but also those differing points of views from uh, different parts of the globe has been invaluable for me over the years.
0: Question number two, very similar here. What makes the MIE program so special for people who might want to consider joining over in the next round?
1: Um, I, I want to say accessibility, and and I don't mean that it's real easy to get in because there is a, a process of you know that you have to apply and go through. But you know the people, the the other MIE experts that are in there. It's such an accessible network, um, and even if you're not an MIE expert and you're, it's something that you aspire to be or or something that you're looking at. You know, even just following the MIE expert hashtag on Twitter um, allows you to access to all of those amazing points of view that that people are sharing. And so, you know, more than most of the other networks that I'm a part of, it, you know, there's so much interaction going on there and so many people willing to share that the accessibility to uh, to just expertise and knowledge is greater than any other network I'm in.
0: Now the tough questions here, Mike. So strap in here. Why are your kids awesome?
1: Because of the way they see learning as a vehicle to make the world a better place. Um, you know, I, I I've been blessed to work with a lot of students in different places, and I've never been in a place where there's such a culture of problem solving. You know, when my kids have a Skype call um, with a scientist that they've never met before you know, they are, they're intrinsically looking for some way that they can use the learning that they're getting in that call to solve a problem in the world. Um, everything from, you know, we connect with the Seabird Hospital in South Africa, and the next thing I know, kids learned about plastic pollution, and they don't want to use straws in the, in the cafeteria anymore. Um, you know, just little things like that that happen all the time because kids are always looking for ways to make the world just a little bit of a better place.
0: <laughs> That's beautiful. Um, they're going to get harder here. What is the best teachable moment you've ever had?
1: and not you know, you know off the top oh. of my head i can't think of a really good, really great answer to that um but i but i will say this um i try and leave my teaching open enough that that things that pop up um you know i'm not afraid to go off on a tangent i don't want my lessons to be so structured uh, that we don't leave time for those teachable moments. And I think one of the reasons why it's difficult for me to answer that question is because it's something that happens all the time. Uh, if kids are passionate about something, I'm not afraid to ditch our lesson plan and go after the the learning that they want to know about. Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, it's the things that they're passionate about that, that are really going to make a difference in their lives.
0: I love these answers here. I love doing this show. I love doing these answers here. All right. Last question here. There are teachers that are listening to this program today that might be newbies, that might be first times in a Microsoft education situation where they're they're working in an environment that has the docs and the sheets and the forms and the Microsoft, all this stuff. What do you tell that teacher that might be swamped, might be overwhelmed, might not know the first thing to do or the first way to really integrate this because they're still learning the technology? What advice do you have for any teacher to just get them comfortable or to teach them how to make an awesome lesson? Yes,
1: yeah, so I would say step back from the technology at first. And uh, you, not, not to say that you shouldn't use it, but you know when you're trying to plan the experiences that you want to give to kids – step back from all of the the technology and all of the Microsoft, you know, the 060, 0365 suite that you have there and say to yourself, you know, what, what is it that I want kids to be able to do? Um, You know, what, what experience do I want to bring to my students? And then once you've answered that, ask yourself, what are the best tools that I can use to make that happen? Um, And, you know, a lot of times, you know, Microsoft's got some, some great products and, you know, that's why You know, that's why we enjoy them so much and and why we're talking about Skype and OneNote all the time, you know, and and some of the other products that they have. But at the end of the day, those are just vehicles to get where we want students to go. And so if we focus on the experience that we want kids to have and the learning that we want them to to experience, um, you know, those tools will fall into place afterwards. And there's nothing saying that you have to use any one of those tools at any one time. Um, You know, each of them has their own purpose for, you know, when they're useful. Uh, So step back and look at the experience first.
0: Speaker, writer, dad, amazing educator. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. One last time, where can people reach out and connect with you on your social channels?
1: Yeah, so like you said, on Twitter, um, at msoskel, S-O-S-K-I-L, or you can go to my website, michaelsoskel.com.
0: Excellent. Mike, thank you so much for your time today, and enjoy the rest of your stay up in Boston. Thanks, Jeff. And again, I want to say thank you to our guest, Michael Soskill, for coming on. What an amazing educator. I hope you have a chance to check out his website over at michaelsoskill.com That's Michael S-O-S-K-I-L.com or check him out on Twitter at msoskil. What a great guest. And I hope you take his advice and check out the great stuff happening over on education.microsoft.com and participate in this year's Skypeathon. I loved his idea, you know, about doing the mystery Skypes But I really liked his idea of doing the animal Skypes. I think you can have a a great time with that in your classrooms, no matter what grade, no matter what subject you have. Of course, we certainly want to welcome you guys again to visit us on the first and third Tuesdays of every single month for our tweet meets. They happen at 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. Pacific time. Check them out over at hashtag OneNoteQ and hashtag MSFTEDU chats. There's, of course, several great things happening on our network here at TeacherCast Educational Broadcasting Network. So check us out. Of course, we do our live podcast every single Tuesday night called the Tech Educator Podcast. That's live Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. over on TeacherCast.tv. And again, I want to say thank you to you and all the MIEs out there for joining. If you're not a Microsoft Innovative Educator yet, check it out. Follow the hashtag MIE Expert and sign up. Next time we have our, our, uh, our registration process to pop out there, it is a great community and one that you guys are going to learn an awful lot for and make amazing global connections just like Mike taught us about. On behalf of everybody here at Microsoft Education and the TeacherCast Educational Broadcasting Network, my name is Jeff Bradbury reminding you to keep up the great work in your classrooms and continue sharing your passions with your students.